case you didn't know, I'm a Baptist. I don't apologize for that. Somebody asked the preacher we knew in Tennessee, if you were a Baptist, what would you be? He said, I'd be a shame. I don't say that because it's anything meritorious about me. But that's a great name. His name is John. We've been talking about biblical baptism. You can do something with some kind of material to somebody, somehow, somewhere, and you can call it whatever you want, but that doesn't make it biblical baptism. I heard about a little fellow who, when he was a kiddo, he wanted to be a preacher, and so he decided to practice by baptizing cats. I don't recommend that for a lot of reasons. But we've talked about what biblical baptism is. And then we talked about who is a fit candidate for biblical baptism. And then last week we talked about how it is that biblical baptism ought to be administered. And yes, we're called Baptists. Originally our enemies said, you're Anabaptist. That doesn't mean we looked for a girl named Anna and baptized her. It means we were accused of re-baptizing. Just like baptizing those cats. That doesn't count. Much as we love our little ones, Jesus didn't say to take a little baby. It's a baby in Christ who's a proper candidate for baptism. But it's by immersion, to dip, to dunk, to burst, to make fully wet if you will. But there's one thing I didn't get to last week. I want to touch on that real quickly. And that is biblical baptism ought to be administered in the name of the Lord Jesus. That expression in the name, think of that like the policeman who says stop in the name of the law. He has the authority of the law. He has constituted authority to carry out the law. Likewise, when we baptize, it's not because I think it's a good idea, or you think it's a good idea, but it's because it was of divine design. In Luke chapter 1, we're told that there was a man, and we call him John the Baptist. That distinguishes him from John the Apostle. Some people don't like the word Baptist. They call him John the Dipper, John the Immerser. That's Six of done, half six of one, half dozen of the other. But in order for baptism to be biblical, it needs to be in the name, as by the authority of the Lord Jesus. As I said in Luke chapter one, there was an old priest named Zacharias. And he had a wife named Elizabeth. The United Kingdom lost its queen this week. If you're listening in the news. And that reminds us that the kings and queens of this world, they come and they go. But there is a king, there is a God in heaven. He's not going to die. He's not going to be replaced. He's the one who has all things in his hand. 
by his charge. And we read in the first chapter of Luke how that Zacharias, before the little fellow was born, angel came to him and let him know that Elizabeth was going to bear a son and even had his name picked out. It was John. It talks about him, the great harbinger, the one who would be preparing the way, announcing the one far greater than he. He wasn't there to toot his own horn. He was there to say, you watch for the one coming behind me. He's the one we need to be focused on. And that comes out time and time again. In fact, in the Gospels it tells us when John who had his disciples with him, he saw Jesus and he said, oh don't pay attention. I'm, I'm the star here. I'm the one to focus on. No, that's not the Godly way. We are here to point to Christ. We are here to show Christ, to declare Christ. John said of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. When I was an English teacher, I used to teach parts of speech, and I said, when you see the preposition in a prepositional phrase, the preposition, it's all the Bible at the same time, the preposition is like John the Baptist. And he points over the heads of the disciples to the most important one. You see, sometimes in a prepositional phrase, you have a preposition, many have some adjectives, many have the noun or the pronoun, the focus. What does the preposition point to? John didn't point to his own disciples. He didn't point to Peter, James, and John the Apostle. He pointed over their heads to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's the one we need to focus on. Sometimes we make heroes of men. Men don't make good heroes. They don't make good gods either, as Darius learned. See, Sunday school helps. And we go. And so, John the Baptist pointed to Christ. And if you read the third of Matthew and the first of Mark, you'll find that Jesus, the Son of God, said, fellas, we're going to this guy who's baptizing. Now, some would say, he's Jesus. Couldn't he have baptized? That's not the point. John 1 tells us there was a man named John, and God sent him. And Jesus had John's baptism. And John's baptism rings out time and time again. I used to run with some kind of fuzzy wuzzies that are kind of shy about the expression Baptist. And they said, well, you know, John wasn't all that important. John never made a big thing about himself. But Jesus said, among men, you don't find someone better than, than John. And John was sent of God. And he's the one who baptized Jesus. And it's interesting that after Jesus was baptized and Jesus began his own public ministry, there was still going on the disciples of John. And they had questions and they would come to Jesus and his disciples about things. But I want you to know, John didn't say, you know, I, I need to shut it down. No, John kept on baptizing. But he recognized that Jesus was the one to whom he would bow. 
that he would honor, that he was the, the prelude, if you will. So important. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 1, you know, some people really want to minimize John. Well, the ministry of John was very important. Preparing the way, as he did. In Acts chapter 1, it tells us that Judas went to his own place. Judas fell! Not from salvation, because he never was there, but he fell from a position, his office, his bishopric, as it's put in our King James. So we read, starting in verse 20 of Acts 1, it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate. Wonder who that's talking about. Well, we have the word to tell. That's talking about Judas. His position was vacated and they wanted to have another to take his place. And let no man dwell there and let his bishopric, let his bishop let him take. Wherefore, now, they whittled down to two men. They say these, as far as we can discern, are the most highly qualified to succeed Judas. Wherefore, these men which have company with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Well, what's the litmus test? Where did it start? Look at verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John. Unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So, if the baptism of John was nothing why did Jesus make a big deal about it? Why did the apostles make a, de a big deal about it? Is there any other biblical baptism? You might dream something up and call it baptism. Well, just like that little fellow, baptizing cats. Uh, that's a biblical baptism. And it's actually a waste of time if you've ever tried to baptize a cat. Let's go to John chapter 3 because I want to deal with a fourth question and that is where, where are biblical baptism to be administered? Well, I don't know anybody when they talk about baptism doesn't involve some kind of water. But if it's a toughie for you, let me make it simple. In the New Testament, it's not a question of bringing the water to the candidate, but getting the candidate to the water. In John 3, verse 23, tells us that John also was baptizing in an eon near to Salim. Why would he baptize there? Why don't you just do it in somebody's house? Or maybe in the roadside? Or maybe someplace else? It was important not so much to get the water to the candidate, but to get the candidate to the water. And so John was baptizing in a certain place. Why? Because there was much water there. Some people tell you, a few drops, that's, that's really all it takes. I think if we've taken the New Testament seriously, we know already. It talks about being buried with him in baptism. And you sure don't bury somebody just putting a little bit of dirt on their head. That, that doesn't cut it. And so 
they that came, it says, and were baptized there in that place. That's the example set by John. We've already seen that in the third of Matthew and the first of Mark. And I want you to know, let's go back to Mark chapter 1. When it talks about the place of baptism, it's something you can find on a map. You know, I know somebody who's a life member of the National Geographic Society. They know a lot about maps. It's a place you can find on the map. It's not in somebody's imagination someplace. It's a, well, wherever you feel like. No, there's a place. Mark chapter 1, as I said, verse 9 says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. That's the northern district where he grew up and was baptized of John in Jordan. It's quite a trip. But he went to that place. He had an appointment to be in that place. And, uh, you know, the Lord says it once. That's, that should be good enough. The Lord says some things more than once. Just to make sure we, we got it. Luke 3, 3 says, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Time after time after time. You know, when Philip in Acts chapter 8 was riding along with the Ethiopian eunuch, and the eunuch says, What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip, you got a canteen? I'm sure he had some water with him. Hey, this is all it takes. This, this could probably baptize about 100 people. Not biblically. And when the man says, here is water, he wasn't holding a canteen in his hand, I don't believe. They came to what we might call an oasis. The where, as long as there's enough quantity of water. It doesn't have to be in a cathedral. Else, Jesus didn't have scriptural baptism. It can be in a creek. It can be in a pond. It can be in a tub, in a tank. A missionary friend of mine was uh, in the Mariana Islands, and he says, we had a baptism in the largest baptistry on the planet Earth, the Pacific Ocean. It's not a question of some place that's been dedicated by man, but there's a purpose. There is no formal, official location that the Lord has ever established as it's some shrine, temple, or, or holy ground. You know, when Moses came to the burning bush, the Lord spoke to him, saying, take the shoes off your feet. You're in hallowed ground. I think sometimes people think that about the church house. Well, I'm on the church parking lot, you know. It's holy ground. I step inside. I'm coming in the holy of holies. I think some people think that there's something magical or mystical about this raised area here, or this tank behind me, or this table below here. No, there's no mystery. There's no magic there. But the Lord has called us to do in such and such a way, for such and such a reason. From the earliest times, rivers were the ideal places to qualify as much water. Back in my teaching days, when I talk about civilizations, I point out to students that potable water, a large quantity of water, good enough to drink, good enough to cook with, that was necessary 
if you're going to have a large group of people living in a place. Well, likewise, for baptism. And the facilities that men would use are acceptable as long as there's enough for a symbolic baptism. Now, some of you know this, and some of you may have heard it more than once, but it won't hurt for me to repeat it. I was dunked at about the age of 10 or 11 by some people that, as far as I'm concerned, had no authority to baptize. I thought I was baptized. I got a piece of paper to prove it. But uh, they asked me if I was saved. Yeah. I said, okay, well, you can be baptized and in the water and out. And so it went. So I thought I was baptized. Then, I'm sitting in a Sunday school class, and uh, we had a very blunt Sunday school teacher for us boys. He said, How are you baptized? No, put your hand down. You're not. <laughs> what do you mean I'm not? I got a certificate to prove it. And he said, By whose hand? Who had the authority? Uh, some people just got themselves together, a branch of a branch of a branch of a branch off of some Protestant group, and they said they were authorized to baptize. And so I saw the scripture. I said, I want the kind of baptism Jesus had. That which could be traced back to John. And so I asked the pastor of the church. Now, the church was meeting upstairs above Henry Miller Cleaners at the time. We didn't have a tank. But there happened to be, they weren't even a Baptist group, but they had a tank. And so they were very personable. And they said, anytime you want a baptism, just let us know. And so my pastor then contacted that pastor and said, can we come over at 3 o'clock this next Sunday? And the pastor there said, glad to do it, glad to do it. Well, they had services that morning, and it spilled over a little bit, in fact a lot, to the point where, oh, glory, hallelujah, they got so excited. And so they went out to eat with some of the church folk, and they're at a restaurant, and about... One o'clock, oh, we got a baptism coming up. Those Baptists are going to come in. So he came back and he turned the water on. Because it, it didn't have already prepared. And so we showed up a little bit before three and he said, Preacher, uh, the good news is we want to go ahead with it, but the water's going as fast as it can, but it's not too deep. He said, is there enough to dunk him all the way? And I was the only one. I was quite a bit thinner than I am now. And so it wouldn't take a whole lot of water, but he said, well, it's, it's probably about maybe 18 inches. Well, I think we can pull this off. And so he got me there in the tank, and uh, he got me ready, and he said, now, we're going to do this. Are you ready? Yes, sir. So he put a hanky over my nose and, and pushed me down, and as my head went down, my knees popped up. Well, that's not fair. So I didn't know that my knees popped up. I thought it would be in and out, just like that. Well, he pushed me down. He saw my knees. I thought I was coming up. He reached over here and pushed me back down. His left hand on my knees and his right on my face. And I'm, what's going on here? And when he brought me up, he said, Buried with him in baptism, raised in newness of life. Gave a fresh meaning to that. For me, 
And so I can, that, that's something that happened to me. So uh, I, I can tell that. That person might get embarrassed in telling that story. Well, with me, so I can tell that. But it's important to know that the right imagery, the right individual, the right image are all supposed to be given. Now, I knew some fellows, in fact, I knew a, a chaplain over in Afghanistan. And uh, he prayed with his men, and one of the men said, you know, I, I want to be baptized. Well, they're a long ways from a cathedral, or a chapel, or a church house. But they had some, I guess it was plastic, and they dug a whole lot, a lot of sand over there in Afghanistan. And so they, they made a hole and put the plastic in and put the water in and in and out. I can't say that that's unscriptural as far as where to do it because the scriptures don't lay out. It's got to be in a certain place. You know, there's some people in some religious settings, they think of a holy city. You got to pray facing that holy city. And some people figure if my body's pointing toward that place, or if I'm thinking about that particular place. Some people say, I want to be baptized where Jesus was. Well, I hope you understand it's not so much the geographic place as the fact that of the manner and the candidate and the matter of the heart. Now there's an expression used in Acts 26 that I want you to think about a little bit. When Paul was called on the carpet before the authorities, he made it clear he wasn't sneaking around. See, if you serve the Lord, you shouldn't be on the QT. Again, Sunday school. Daniel, he knew what the law was. If you dare to speak to any God or man other than the king for a period of time, you'd be thrown in a den of lions. When Daniel knew, it says in Daniel 6, he knew what the commandment was. And he knew that the king couldn't cut any corners or show any favoritism. There's no way this could be taken back. King tried, but it uh, wouldn't work. And so he was committed to go. He left his windows open three times a day. He would pray facing Jerusalem. Again, people have the tradition of respecting a, a certain place. But you know, there are some people, they might be afraid to go out in the town square and pray aloud. And it might come to that in this country. Land of the free and home of the brave, so we call it. And yet, uh, in the name of political correctness or some such, people say, well, we don't want to we don't want to have a, a problem here, and so let's just take prayer out, take Bible reading out. It's already out of some places, and I think some people like to take it out of right here too. But the work of the Lord is not done strictly by a bunch of secret agents. You know, there are no CIA or FBI agents for Jesus that I can find in the Bible. It's all out in the open. When Paul was speaking, here in Acts chapter 20, uh, 26, 
And King Agrippa has got him looking right away. He says in verse 26 of Acts 26, For the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. King Agrippa, you know why. My life is an open book. You have seen. You have heard. You have witnesses. You know where I've been and what I've done and why I've done it. They're trying to do something on the QT. If somebody comes to you, now I want to honor the Lord, but uh, don't tell them. You don't have to tell them that I'm a Christian. You should be telling people by your life, by your testimony. You know, I pulled into a church house and I saw all the license plates were covered up and people kind of make sure nobody's looking. You know, we don't want anybody to see us going into the church house or anything like that. Paul was out and about and no hiding about this sort of thing. Notice what he says in verse 26. For this thing was not done in a corner. It's an open. It's an overt. It's a deliberate act whereby we identify. We put on Christ. We confess Christ in that way. I know there are some people who say, well, I'm a Christian. Great. You're going to obey the Lord? What do you mean? Well, in the scripture, the first, first act of obedience. I'll put a Christian bumper sticker on my car. I'll wear a cross. I'll even get a this or a that. And, and I'll identify with Jesus in my way. How about we doing it the Lord's way? Galatians 3.27, it's still in the book. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You can wear some jewelry and say, oh, this is how I put on Christ. I didn't want to get a Bible verse necktie. So when I put this on, I'm putting on Christ. What do I, the apostles, didn't think about that? What do I, Jesus, didn't say anything about that? It's not the clothing we put on, but we put on the Lord Jesus Christ in a physical way. And it's very demonstrative. Uh, I do believe the two baptisms we had since I've come on board, uh, we didn't sneak around. Here, three o'clock in the morning. Don't tell anybody. Keep your lights down low. Pull in the parking lot and don't let your horn honk or anything. We don't want anybody to know what's going on. No. We were glad. We rejoice. If somebody's coming gunning for us, I'll be giving them ammunition and say, you find somebody who wants to baptize, we're going to get them. Guess what, folks? I might get to have a prison ministry again, but from the inside out. But the point is, it's open, it's overt, it's all out there for people to see. You see, when the Lord saved you, He didn't say, now, Father, I'm willing to go to Calvary, but can we do it where people won't see? I don't want people to know. I don't want people to target me. And in fact, I want my people to be spies for Jesus. I wonder why the Lord didn't think about that. I'm a covert agent for Jesus Christ. Can't, can't find that in the Scripture. How did Jesus say in Colossians 2.15? It tells us that what Jesus did against the host of hell... 
was not on the QT. He didn't say, well, I'm just going to drop this little bomb nice and soft, nice and quiet. Somewhere, somebody, sometime, just might connect the dots. No. The work of Jesus Christ was out in the open. Colossians 2.15 says of the work of Christ having spoiled principalities and powers. Devil, you're on report. You've got to know. And all the host of hell, you've got to know that the work is done. Jesus didn't oh, it's finished, I think. Oh, no! It was a cry of triumph. He spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. You want to identify with Jesus Christ? Be baptized. Out in the open. I'm not going to ask your forgiveness. I just want to explain. As a history teacher, I can draw from history a lot of good examples. There was a man... Gaius Julius Caesar, we usually call him Julius Caesar because we're English-speaking people. He came to a river. It's actually a little creek. He didn't baptize, but he knew if he crossed that stream with his army behind him, it would be seen as an act of war. He is on report. People would know that he's not just goofing off. He's serious about coming. Coming in with his legion behind him. And so to this day, we use the expression, you've crossed the Rubicon. There's no going back. I believe it was in India, there was a missionary that had a tune composed that they would sing and many and other parts of the world have sung as well. I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Then follow the example of Jesus. The world behind me. The cross before me. There's no going back. You've crossed the Rubicon when you've been baptized. You've got to know that. Jesus, when he paid the price, when he was the great sacrifice, he showed very clearly what he was about. How could you do less for your Lord? for your Savior, for your King. We are to confess Christ before men. The closet disciple, the sacred Christian, can't find him in the New Testament, can you? Matthew 10, verse 32, the words of Jesus should come to mind. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. You say, what? I guess it's important that I confess Christ. Good, before men. wonder how I could do that. Uh, uh, yeah. What's the New Testament say? Really, it doesn't take a whole lot of demonstration from Scripture. We have the two ordinances in the Lord's Church. Baptism. And baptism is not something you will... Uh, it's anniversary of my baptism. I need to go back. My first anniversary. Get baptized again. Baptized again. Baptized again. I've not found that in the scripture. 
But I have found the other ordinance, that of communion. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.26, As oft as you do this, you do show forth the Lord's death till He comes. See, it's by communion, the Lord's table. That's why I have it carved on the table. This do in remembrance of me. We're not thinking about ourselves. Or Uncle Joe, or Aunt Sally, or anybody. We think about the Lord. We think about His death. It's the death of Christ that is pictured. Mm -hmm. And it's the death of Christ, the focal point of our history. And that we need to remember. Never get far from it. Don't drift from that. So it makes it all have meaning. Now the other two aspects of the Gospel... His burial and resurrection are pictured in baptism. We think about Christ. We submit to Christ. We display Christ. That is His finished work. Now, I'm afraid these days there are a lot of good old books that have fallen into the realm of infamiliarity. There was a book written by A.C. Dayton in the 18, I'm not sure if it was the 50s or the 60s, called Theodosia Ernest. Theodosia grew up in one of those places that would sprinkle babies as soon as they could, and they called that baptism, just like people trying to baptize cats. They called it baptism. And so, one day, Theodosia, she's riding along in her carriage, because they were kind of high-to-do folks, and they see these crazy people down at the river. And she says, what are they doing? Oh, those are some Baptists. What are they doing in the river? Are they, are they going swimming? Are they, well, what, what's going on? Oh, they're having what they call baptism. Really? And she couldn't leave it alone. She got home and she said, Mother, um, was I baptized? Oh, yes. Why don't I remember it? Well, trust me, dear. I was there. You were baptized. Our minister baptized you. How did he do it? Well, he got a little water, and put it on your head, and said some words over you, and that's baptism. Well, what are those people doing? Oh, well, you know, some people, they... They get all confused. They're probably so exclusive that that's the only way that it's really supposed to be done. And you know what? She could leave that alone. And so she invited a Baptist to come to her home and talk to her. And he came and he laid out the scriptures. He talked about what baptism is. He talked about who is a scriptural candidate for baptism. He talked about how it ought to be done. He talked about where it ought to be done. And by the end of that book, she says, Mama, I think I'm going to go over there and have those folks baptize me. Think of the tradition. Think of your family. Think of who will be offended. And then she said, I believe I'd be offending the Lord if I don't. Submit to scriptural baptism. Mm -hmm. 
You know, you can justify things till the cows come home, or even if they don't come home. Will you do what God would have you to do? I'm not going to call a person a liar if they're not baptized. I know some people say, well, until you're baptized, you're not even saved. I can't find that in Scripture. But if you are saved, it's something you ought to do. When I told Marsha I loved her, she says, so what are you going to do? Uh, I'm still praying about that. Well, it wasn't too long we had a little talk. And I married her. We didn't do that at 3 o'clock in the morning, did we? We sent invitations out, and she was there with bells on, and she looked almost as good as she looks today. And we had folks that came, and folks that, and I'll never forget one of the deacons of the church, he came up to me in a procession line, and he came to me and he says, I give you my congratulations. And then he came to watch, and I give you my consolation. Because I married up, like most of us do, if we'll be honest and admit. But it's important. Somebody said, How important is it? Jesus said to do it. How can I make that any more important? So, we're not just explaining. I would encourage. Um, how did Paul put it in Romans 12? I beseech you therefore. I'm, I'm putting you on notice that if you really are serious about Jesus Christ, hide it in your heart. Know it in your mind. Have it as his great work on your lips. But be public about it. I know we have secret ballots in our elections. But we don't have a secret alignment with Jesus Christ. You want people, I want people to know, this is my life. I want people to know, this is my Savior. I want people, this is my church. I want to be aligned as God would have me to be. I want people to know where I stand. I've told you before, I'm an open book. I think every Christian ought to be an open book about the things of God. Do we have a song? God bless you.